We open our Bibles this morning to the book of Hebrews, chapter 1. Hebrews, chapter 1. This is the word of God. God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, And let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he saith, Who maketh his angels spirits, and his ministers a flame of fire. But unto the Son, he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thy hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest, and they all shall wax old as doth a garment, and as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed but thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. But to which of the angels said he at any time, Sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits, sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? We read the scriptures that far. We also consider the teaching of the Catechism this morning in Lord's Day 6. In the back of the Psalter on page 5, Lord's Day 6. Why must he be very man and also perfectly righteous? Because the justice of God requires that the same human nature which hath sinned should likewise make satisfaction for sin, and one who is himself a sinner cannot satisfy for others. Why must he in one person be also very God, that he might by the power of his Godhead sustain in his human nature the burden of God's wrath, and might obtain for and restore to us righteousness and life? Who then is that mediator? who is in one person both very God and a real righteous man, our Lord Jesus Christ, 
who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Whence knowest thou this? From the Holy Gospel, which God himself first revealed in paradise and afterwards published by the patriarchs and prophets and represented by the sacrifices and other ceremonies of the law and lastly has fulfilled it by his only begotten Son. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, what sort of a mediator and deliverer must we seek? That was the last question of Lord's Day 5 in the Catechism. That's a question that our first parents, Adam and Eve, ought to have pondered after they fell into sin in the Garden of Eden. And as you recall, After they fell into sin, they took fig leaves and they made aprons for themselves and clothed themselves in those aprons. And they fled from the presence of God into the trees of the garden and they hid behind the trees. And they were trying to escape from the presence of God. The actions of Adam and Eve after they fell into sin reveals just how lost in sin we all truly are. We are so lost in sin that we cannot even admit, we cannot even recognize that we need a Savior. But rather, we try to escape from God. We try to run away from Him. And we try to work our own way up into heaven. When we ought to be pondering the question of the catechism, What sort of mediator and deliverer must we be seeking now that we have fallen into sin? That's a question that has rung down through the corridors of history since the time of the fall. That's a question that still rings throughout the whole world today. That's a question that comes to you this morning and to me. What sort of a mediator and savior must we seek That's a question that many people in the world never find the answer to. But in their unbelief and rebellion, they try to find their own way of salvation. It's a question that many others have heard the answer to, but they reject that answer. The answer to this vital question of the Catechism is an answer that can be learned from the Holy Gospel. The Catechism goes on to ask us in Lord's Day 6, Whence knowest thou all these things? Whence knowest thou the answer to this crucial, vital question about a perfect Savior? And the answer of the Catechism is from the Holy Gospel, which God himself first published in paradise in the Garden of Eden to Adam and Eve, and which Holy Gospel is now fully revealed to us in the Holy Scriptures 
which we have from Genesis to Revelation, and which Holy Gospel is now preached by the servants of God throughout the nations of the world. From that Holy Gospel, we can know, and we who believe do know the answer to this crucially important question. What sort of mediator and deliverer do we need? Is not the Holy Gospel then more precious to you than anything else in this world? The Holy Gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. The Holy Gospel is the revelation of the mystery, to use the words of Paul in Ephesians 3, the mystery of the unsearchable riches of Christ. Let's consider together this morning the gospel of a perfect Savior. Notice, first of all, that this gospel was revealed in various ways in time past. I take that from the passage that we read, Hebrews 1, verse 1. God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. God has revealed this gospel at various times and in various ways in time past. We consider that first. Secondly, that this holy gospel was fulfilled by God's own Son. And we hear that too in verse 2 of Hebrews 1. God hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. And in the third place, that this holy gospel announces rich blessings to us. God first began to reveal the Holy Gospel in paradise after the fall. As we recall from that story of the fall of our first parents, Adam and Eve, when they sinned by taking the forbidden fruit and disobeying God and eating it, they ran from the presence of God immediately and clothed themselves with clothing of their own making and tried to hide from the presence of God in the garden. Adam and Eve, our first parents, were not the first ones to seek God, but God was the first one to seek them. God came after them, and God said to them, Where art thou, Adam? And then Adam came creeping out from behind the trees of the garden, and he told him what had happened, and God said to him, Has Have you eaten of the fruit that I told you not to eat? And the first response of Adam was, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me the fruit and I did eat. It's her fault, O God, that I sinned. And he revealed the pride and the corruption of his sinful nature. But God then turned to the woman, to Eve, and he said, What hast thou done? And she said, The serpent whom you created, he beguiled me and I did eat of the fruit, and she showed the pride and corruption of her nature as well. But God showed his amazing, unsearchable, and infinite grace and mercy when in response to them blaming each other for their sin, he published for the very first time in history the Holy Gospel when he spoke to them what we now call the mother promise. 
And God spoke to the serpent in the hearing of Adam and Eve, and in our hearing, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. And by that first proclamation of the gospel, in the form of a promise, God began to teach us what sort of a mediator and savior we must look for. He began to show us that the Savior who is going to come will be the seed of the woman. He will be the child of the woman. He will be born from the woman, and therefore, he will be very man. He will be a true, a real human being, coming from the loins of our first parents, Adam and Eve, with the very same human nature as all of the other seed of Adam and Eve. And this child of the woman who was to come would have to suffer. He would have to suffer the bruising of his precious heel by the serpent, the devil. But it would be precisely in the way of his suffering that he himself would bruise the head of the serpent, dealing a fatal blow to his head and bringing salvation. God continued to reveal the characteristics of the perfect Savior whom we must look for in the era of the patriarchs, the era of the fathers, whose history is recorded in the book of Genesis. God began to teach us great things in the history of Noah at a time when the whole world had degenerated and had descended into the deepest and darkest of debauchery and corruption, and the whole world was full of sin and depravity, and only eight souls were left who still feared the Lord, but they too were sinners. God revealed in the history of Noah that if there is going to be salvation, he himself must accomplish that salvation. That salvation must come from one who is also very God. Because God alone was able to save Noah and his family in the ark from the flood of his wrath that he unleashed on the world, pouring down from the windows of heaven and from the fountains of the deep a great flood of waters that utterly destroyed the wicked world. Only God was able to save Noah and his family in the ark from that outpouring of his wrath and indignation on the world for its wickedness. And only God was able to save Noah and his family from their own sins because they too were a part of that wicked world. They too were sinners like the ungodly. Only God was able by that very same outpouring of the flood of many waters to purge and to cleanse Noah and his family in the ark, to wash away their sins, and to cleanse the whole creation. Salvation must come from God himself. God went on to publish that holy gospel in the era of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In that time of the patriarchs, the fathers of the nation of Israel, God made clear many wonderful truths about salvation. 
God taught us that if there is to be salvation, once again, it must come from God himself. Because God made salvation to hinge upon the fulfillment of a promise that Abraham and Sarah were not able to fulfill themselves. He made all of salvation for the whole of his people to hinge and depend upon the birth of a child, the birth of a son from Abraham and Sarah who were unable to bring forth that child. They grew older and older, decade after decade, until Abraham was 100 years old and Sarah 90 years old and barren, having never brought forth a child. But God had spoken the promise of the gospel to them. I will do what you cannot do. What is impossible for you, I will do. It is possible for me. And God kept his promise and brought forth the child of wonder, little Isaac. And God promised that in Isaac shall the seed of the woman be called. From Isaac the Savior will come. And therefore, he will be truly man as well as truly God. He will come from the seed of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. The very same thing happened in the life of Isaac and Rebekah. Rebekah, too, was barren and unable to bring forth a son. But God, by the wonder of grace, brought forth Jacob and Esau. And it would be through Jacob that God would bring forth the Savior. And God himself pronounced the promise of the gospel through Jacob when he said in his old age, down in Egypt, to his twelve sons, in Genesis 49, verse 10, the scepter shall not depart from Judah until a law, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. Shiloh, the Savior, a Messiah, will come forth out of Judah, the royal tribe. Hundreds of years later, after the children of Israel became slaves in the land of Egypt, God once again published the Holy Gospel through types and shadows which demonstrated the truth that salvation must come from God alone. When the Israelites were in bondage in the land of Egypt, totally unable to liberate themselves from the shackles of Pharaoh, laboring under the hot sun, building his treasure cities, God revealed that if there is to be salvation, he himself must accomplish it. And by a mighty hand and a stretched out arm, he broke their shackles and their chains. And by the rod of Moses, he parted the waters of the Red Sea into two walls and led them through the midst of the sea on dry ground, out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, on their way to that land flowing with milk and honey, the land of Canaan. But before God brought them to Canaan, he brought them to Sinai. And there in the mountain, he revealed to them his laws, He gave his laws to Moses. And in that whole body of the laws of God, civil, ceremonial, and moral laws, he unfolded before their eyes rich and glorious truths concerning the Savior whom we must seek. 
and the sacrifices and ceremonies of the law. God revealed that the Savior whom you must seek is one who must be perfectly righteous. As he said to the children of Israel in Exodus 12, on that night of their deliverance, every family must take a lamb without spot, without blemish, perfectly pure, white, innocent lamb. And as God revealed to them in Leviticus 16, every year in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, the high priest must take two goats, and the one goat must go forth into the wilderness as a scapegoat, but the other goat, the high priest, must place his hand upon its head and impute to that goat all of the iniquities of Israel. And then he must take that goat upon whom he has reckoned the sins of my people and slay it and shed its blood and take that blood in a basin into the tabernacle, into the most holy place beyond the veil and take the blood of the goat and sprinkle it on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant as an atonement for the sins of my people. And in these laws and all of the other laws and sacrifices and ceremonies that God gave to his people, he revealed the holy gospel to them. Through types and shadows, he revealed the kind of savior that we must seek. He must be truly God. He must be truly man and perfectly righteous. Such a one must come and stand in your place. Such a one must become your substitute. Such a one must have his blood shed and sprinkled in the most holy place as an offering to God, as an atonement to cover your wretched sins and to bring you into the presence of God and his fellowship. All of this God taught in his law. He represented the holy gospel to his people year after year after year in that Passover feast and in that great day of atonement and in the other feasts and ceremonies and sacrifices, look for a Savior who will give himself and shed his own blood in your place. And lastly, the Catechism points us to the fact that God published this holy gospel in the prophecies promises of the great prophets. God raised up the prophets and century after century he revealed more and more clearly through the prophets the kind of savior we must look for. God raised up David the son of Jesse, the psalmist of Israel, the shepherd of the sheep of his father, And God inspired David to write in the Psalms concerning the perfect Savior whom we must seek. Psalm 24, verses 7 and 8, David wrote, To lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lift up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. God gave David to see and to to write that the Savior must be the Lord himself, Jehovah himself, who is strong and mighty, mighty in battle, mighty to save. 
But God also led his servant David in very dark and terrible paths. Throughout the years of David's life, he suffered. He suffered great miseries and great agonies of soul and body. Both in the time when he fled from King Saul, who tried to kill him, and in the time when he fled from his own son Absalom. At many times in his life, David suffered. He suffered very great pain and agony of soul that led him into such dark and deep places that he felt that the wrath of God was upon him and that God himself had forsaken him. But God was leading David through those dark paths in order to inspire him to write in the Psalms concerning the Savior that we must seek. As when David wrote Psalm 22, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And in writing of those words, he gave voice to the Savior himself who was to come, a Savior who would be very man, a Savior who would come from David's own loins, a Savior who would suffer, who would bear the burden of the wrath of God that we deserve. But David also wrote about the glorious victory of the Savior. Psalm 110, verse 1, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand, until I make thine enemies thy footstool. After the reign of David, God raised up many other prophets, and more and more clearly God revealed, he unfolded to his people the kind of Savior we must seek. In the days of Manasseh, Hezekiah, Ahaz, he raised up the prophet Isaiah. And Isaiah had to go to Ahaz, And tell him to ask a sign of the Lord, but wicked Ahaz would not ask for a sign. So the Lord himself gave him a sign. Behold, Isaiah said, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel. God with us. Unto us a child will be born, unto us a son will be given, and his name will be Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of peace. But regarding this Emmanuel who is to come, who is very man and very God, Isaiah wrote, He was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. After Isaiah left the scene of this world, Jeremiah, God raised up to continue that history of the unfolding of the promise of the gospel. And in those dark days at the end of the kingdom of Judah, Jeremiah prophesied concerning the coming Savior. Jeremiah 23, verse 5. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, And this is his name whereby he shall be called the Lord our righteousness. In his days, Judah will dwell safely and Jerusalem will be saved. All of these prophecies 
revealed that he should be a very true, real man, descended from the woman through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, through Judah and David, but also truly God. Emmanuel, God with us, the mighty God himself, the Lord, our righteousness. And after the children of Israel returned from captivity in Babylon, at the very end of the Old Testament, he raised up Malachi. And in the last chapter of the Old Testament, Malachi gives this glorious prophecy that the days are coming when the Son of Righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. The sun shall arise into our darkness and shine in the brightness of his light, the sun of righteousness, with healing and salvation. This is the sort of mediator and savior we are to seek. The Catechism asks us, then, who is this mediator and deliverer? Who is in one person both very God and very man and perfectly righteous? Who is he? Don't you love that question? What a lovely question the Catechism asks us in Lord's Day 6. Who is this mediator and savior? Don't you see that that question implies that there is one. There is such a savior. There is such a deliverer. There is a perfect savior. God himself has fulfilled the holy gospel. God has fulfilled all of the promises of old and the prophecies, the types and the shadows of hundreds and thousands of years, God has fulfilled them. There is salvation. There is a Savior. As the Catechism teaches, He has fulfilled the promise of the Holy Gospel in His only begotten Son. Who is this perfect Savior? His name is Jesus Jesus. Jesus is the perfect Savior. There is no other. He is the only one who fits the characteristics described in the Old Testament. He is the only one who is truly man, born of a woman, born under the law, born from the tribe of Judah, from the house of David. He is the only one who is perfectly righteous, the only one who is truly God, truly Jehovah himself. God himself has come in the person of Jesus. As Jesus himself said to Nicodemus in John 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And as the apostle wrote in Hebrews 1, 
God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. His Son. His own Son. God has sent into the world. His name is Jesus. Jesus is very God. Jesus himself taught us that in his life and ministry by the mighty works that he performed walking on the Sea of Galilee, defying what we think of as the laws of nature, stilling the storm at the sea, feeding 5,000 with a little bit of bread and fish, healing the sick, the blind, the lame, the dumb, casting out demons, showing his power over Satan. And when people fell down before him and worshipped him and said, what manner of man is this? He did not deny their worship, but he received their worship, revealing that he is God himself. And in his ministry to the Jews, he said to them, John 8, verse 58, Before Abraham was, I am. I am. I am Jehovah. I am the Lord of hosts. Come into this world. And he said to the Jews in John 10, verse 30, I and my Father are one. And they picked up stones to try to kill him, thinking that he had blasphemed by claiming to be God. He claimed to be God because he is God. John wrote this in his gospel, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Apostle Paul in Philippians 2, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took on the form of a servant. He did not think it robbery to be equal with God, to claim to be God. It wasn't robbery. He wasn't robbing God of his glory because he is God. And in the passage which we have read, Hebrews 1, the apostle is at pains to demonstrate that Jesus is God himself. Unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he bringeth the first begotten into the world, he saith, Let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he saith, who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. But unto the Son, he saith, unto the Son, he saith, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. God says that to his Son. God says to his Son, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. Jesus is God. Why must he be very God? Why must Jehovah of hosts himself come into the world to save us? According to the Catechism, the answer is that only God can sustain the burden of God's own wrath against our sins. Only God himself can 
sustain, can endure the suffering of his own eternal wrath against even one of my sins. And then all of my sins and all of yours and all of the sins of all of his people throughout history. Only God himself is able to sustain and to support the human nature of the Savior to endure the suffering that must be endured to satisfy his justice, to pass through the portals of the everlasting darkness of hell and to come through on the other side to satisfy, to appease the unending wrath of God, to drink the cup and to drain the dregs to the very end and obtain righteousness and life for us. The whole scriptures teach emphatically that God must save us. And only God can save us. From the flood to the exodus to the conquest, from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob, down to our Lord Jesus himself, salvation must come from the Lord. And the Holy Gospel proclaims God has come He has come into the world to save us. Jesus is truly God, and he is truly man. Jesus taught that too about himself when he said repeatedly that he is the Son of Man. Not only the Son of God, but the Son of Man. The apostles also knew that he was a real man. John 1, verse 14, this word who was with God in the beginning was made flesh. The word who is God became flesh. He became incarnate. He became a man. Hebrews 2, verse 14 says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil. He had to partake of flesh and blood. God had to become flesh and blood. God had to take on human nature to crush the head of the serpent, to destroy the devil who had the power over death. Why did God have to become man? The Catechism teaches us that too. It is because of the justice of God. Man fell into sin. Therefore, man must suffer for that sin. Man disobeyed God in the beginning, eating the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We, Human beings have sinned against God, and therefore a human being must pay for that sin. God will not punish the angels for our sins. God will not punish the animals for our sins. God will punish man for man's sins. But since we cannot endure that punishment, in his mercy, he became a man to do it for us.
that whole system of the ceremonies of the law, the great day of atonement, the slaughtering of sheep and bulls and goats as a substitute was the proclamation of the Holy Gospel. But it has been fulfilled in God's own Son when he gave his own life as a sacrifice on the cross and sprinkled his own blood all over that cross and took that blood up into heaven and sprinkled it before God as an offering and an atonement for our sins, that we might be saved. In the third place, Jesus is perfectly righteous. Truly God, truly man, and perfectly righteous. He never sinned against any of God's commandments. He never sinned once in his life. When Jesus came before the Sanhedrin at the end of his life, at one point an officer of the high priest slapped him in the face. And Jesus said, If I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, why smitest thou me? They could not testify of any evil that he had done. And when he came before Pontius Pilate and he was examined thoroughly by that Roman governor who represented the height of human achievement when it came to law and justice at that point of history, Pontius Pilate had to say, I find no fault in this man. The apostles emphasized in many places in their epistles that Jesus was righteous. Hebrews 4 verse 15 says he was tempted in all points like as we are. He experienced all temptations, yet without sin. First Peter 1, the apostle says, Ye were not redeemed with corruptible things, not with silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Do you see Jesus on the cross, hanging there by faith? Do you see him shedding his blood? He is pure, perfect, righteous, sinless, a lamb without spot and without blemish. Why did he have to be perfectly righteous? Catechism teaches us because only one who is perfectly righteous can die for others to save them. One who is himself a sinner must die for his own sins. One who is himself a sinner cannot die for others. Only one who is himself holy and pure can step forward into our place and take upon himself our sins and suffer and die for us. Jesus is his name. Jesus is our perfect Savior. And therefore, the Holy Gospel announces to us 
the richest of blessings. The Catechism quotes from 1 Corinthians 1 when it presents to us our Lord Jesus Christ who has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. He has made unto us everything, everything that we need. It is in our Lord Jesus Christ. He has made unto us wisdom Because like Adam and Eve, after they fell into sin, we are fools. We try to save ourselves. We try to make fig leaf aprons and cover our nakedness and shame. We try to hide in the trees of the garden. We try to blame others for our sins and excuse our sins and find our own way. We're fools. But the Lord Jesus Christ has made unto us wisdom. And he bestows that wisdom upon us through his Holy Spirit so that we become wise unto salvation when we hear the preaching of the Holy Gospel, when we see the presentation of our Savior, we are given the wisdom to believe and to come to him. He has made unto us righteousness. We have no righteousness in ourselves. We are poor, we are wretched, we are blind, we are naked, we are sinful. But Christ is made unto us righteousness. He is our righteousness, the Lord, our righteousness. And he bestows that righteousness upon us. And we receive it by faith. He is made unto us sanctification. We are not able to be holy. We are not able to do good works in ourselves. All we can do is fall short of the glory of God. But Christ has made unto us sanctification so that he bestows now upon us his Holy Spirit so that the Spirit works in us and does in us and through us what we cannot do of ourselves. He works in us both to will and to do of God's good pleasure so that we do make a beginning in this life of walking in the new obedience, in joy and thankfulness. He has made unto us redemption. In ourselves, we are chained to the dark Lord, Satan. And all we're able to do is serve him day in and day out in our misery. But Christ has broken those chains He has brought redemption for us and he bestows it upon us so that all of these riches of salvation are announced in the Holy Gospel. This is the mediator and savior we must seek. Seek him. Do not flee from God into the garden and hide behind the trees. Do not make excuses. Do not blame others. Do not justify your sins. Come to the cross. Fall down before Jesus. Embrace the perfect Savior. Come to him, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and he will give you rest. Take his yoke upon you and learn of him. 
For his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And give thanks for a perfect Savior. Amen. Our Father, we thank thee for a perfect Savior. We thank thee for the Holy Gospel, which has proclaimed to us again this morning, who is our perfect Savior. We give all praise, glory, and honor unto thee for thy marvelous work in the Old Testament and in the New, in fulfilling the ancient prophecy and sending the Messiah. May we rejoice in our Savior this day. May we find comfort and rest in our souls. And may we be thankful to thee in all of our life. 